Good morning. Welcome to Ask Andy. This is a daily podcast about personal injury practice in Philadelphia. I'm Andrew Newworth. You can find me on the web at newworthlaw, N-E-U-W-I-R-T-H-L-A-W.com or at 215-259-3687. I wanted to talk to you today about uh, dog bites, which are semi-seasonal. They come up more and more in the summertime as people are out and as their dogs are out. So there's more, you know, dog person interaction and hence more dog biting people. So I've talked about these before, but the bottom line with dog bites is the insurance companies hate them because they cost them money. So, but they don't really know how to fight the dog bite case. There's really no defense when a dog bites a person unless, you know, there was true antagonism there. So, you know, what defenses could there possibly be? The dog can't testify that he was antagonized. The person <clears throat> who's victimized usually won't be seeking me out if they were antagonizing the dog. So that's kind of a check on on both sides. So really what you have is, you know, what appears to be an unprovoked attack by a dog on a person. And then you know, the value of the case is totally dependent upon a few things. One is whether there's insurance available or not. Two is, you know, are we just talking about punctures or surgery? And three is, you know, the age of the person. So, you know, a dog bite on a face on a younger person is going to be worth a lot more than two or three punctures on someone uh, who's, you know, my age, 50 or so. So that's the basic, you know, a lot of these cases don't need to be filed in court because they're so clear cut. But, you know, so I have two large Labradors. It's about 190 pounds of dog between the two of them. And one of my dogs absolutely hates the mailman. As soon as he hears the mailman's truck putt, 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 putting up to deliver mail, he goes absolutely berserk. And if you're in the house, you got to leave the house or you got to let him out. So he's just barking like an absolute madman. If you keep him in the house, he's driving everyone in the house crazy. If you let him out of the house, then he's going to chase the mailman up and down. And he's got an electric fence, but, you know, he's going to go right up to the gate as close as he can and bark the hell out of the mailman. Now, the mailman knows him by now, and he's a Labrador retriever. He's big and scary, but he's not actually probably going to bite anyone. And, you know, even if he did, he'd bite you with a soft palate, which is kind of how Labradors handle people. But, you know, the mailman's appropriately afraid of the dogs, especially, you know, substitute male people. Um, so that's that. You know, it's like, look, this dog is, is aggressive towards mailmen. And I have to know that, and the mailman has to know that, and we sort of have an understanding that he, he can leave the mail on the front stoop and not come onto my property. But... You know, in a lot of situations, people will walk by homes all the time on their way to, you know, the deli or school or here or there, and there's an aggressive growling dog inside a chain link fence. Now, you know, what's the story there? Well, if you go into that property to see that person and the dog bites you, you know, do you have a claim? Yeah, you do, because the dog was, was you know, basically bit you. And the dog was unrestrained. I've actually handled cases where people are bitten on family members' property, friends' property. It doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, essentially, if you have a dog 
that's you know going to be aggressive towards someone you got to restrain it even if it's just by putting it in a different part of the house so you know do you have when you actually head into litigation on these cases it's it's mostly because of a dispute about the value of the case and i may say look i think the case is worth 200 and the insurance company will offer me 70 and that case is going to go into suit it's going to go into court but you know part of my job in the course of depositions is to see if there was prior evidence or indications that the dog might be aggressive such that the family really should have been more careful than they were and most of the time you know the family will kind of poo-poo the notion that there was prior signs of aggressiveness but they're there you know to an outside observer listening so you know the fact that family may keep a pit bull is not one way or the other you know evidence of anything but you know, pit bulls are strong, scary-looking, and to me, aggressive animals. If you don't take them out walking, and you don't burn off some of their extra energy, you're going to have a more tightly wound dog, and you don't want that. So, one deposition I was taking, there was a family said, oh, well, we don't take him out because he's aggressive towards other dogs. Not towards people, they said, but towards other dogs. So, here you had an aggressive breed, the pit bull, who... Basically, the family had realized he was aggressive and didn't want to take him out. So they've kind of conceded aggressiveness. And, you know, when he would come near other dogs, he was aggressive or, you know, would try and attack them or bark at them or growl or something. So, you know, you can gather a couple of things from that. One is the dog wasn't well trained enough to not act that way towards other dogs. Two, perhaps he should have had a muzzle on, which would solve any problems. Then he could be as aggressive as he wanted around other dogs, and he would get some exercise still. But to keep an unmuzzled, you know, periodically aggressive pit bull on your property and not walk them is, you know, sort of the picture of negligence to me. You know, it means that you had indications, maybe didn't put two and two together, but you had indications that this dog could be trouble, and then you're not kind of bleeding off enough energy. It's like sort of like dealing with children. You know, I have a kids who are, are fairly athletic, but when they're not being athletic, like on the weekend, uh, you know, they get some extra energy and it's hard to put them to bed. Same thing with dogs. You know, if, if you're not bleeding some of that energy off, you're going to have an issue if the dog has its, you know, fight or flight response on. So, you know, what do those cases look like? I, I still have never seen a dog bite case go to trial. I'm not sure they actually ever even go to trial. It's more a dispute over value and how far the family and I want to push the case. Um, and, you know, usually there's an, a number that can be achieved. You know, I think maybe in some of the farther out counties, the numbers are lower and therefore the cases may get closer to trial. But, you know, for the most part, insurance companies don't like to mess with these cases. As lawyers, we're always looking for these cases because they are so strong and we feel like we can do a good job for the family. Uh, there's no real dispute about what caused the injury there's no real dispute about what happened and it doesn't really matter why why is not really an issue uh, so you know they're pretty much open and shut cases that are just totally dependent upon value so that's dog bites they're excellent cases to bring if you have one unfortunately you don't want to be the victim of a dog bite particularly one requiring surgery but a lot of the puncture wounds you know are kind of cleaned out at the er and left to heal on their own without stitching because the docs don't want to sort of 
uh, stitch closed an area that may be infected. So that's about your normal dog bite law process in the Philadelphia area. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Newworth. This is Ask Andy. Have a great day.